Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons to trace its creative evolution and count down, finding the exact moment in which the show began to suck. I'm your host, Eric Santuan, and this week, I'm once again joined by my good friend, Mike Drew Flynn, and we'll be discussing the episode, Some Enchanted Evening, which originally aired on May 13th, 1990, and brought the first season to a close. To be perfectly honest, neither of us particularly care for this episode, and so we have very little to actually say about it. But it did give us a chance to shoot the shit for a little while and discuss the state of 1990s television specifically television in 1990, and how such a landscape could result in, of all things, the Earth Day special, an all-star extravaganza which arrived with much fanfare in the spring of 1990, and which I am almost certain no one, not even those who actually watched it, remembers. What you are about to listen to is nothing more or less than a cheerful, laid-back, and tangent-filled conversation between two friends. Just two friends talking on a lazy Sunday afternoon. So let us keep you company and serve as a helpful distraction in these uncertain and occasionally stressful times. Because we're all in this together. Here we go. So welcome back, Flynn. How you doing? Oh, oh didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um, quarantine life has been weird. And... Uh... Watched this episode at four in the morning last night. It's funny. I had a, uh, my, my night was interesting and I, I think it's worth mentioning because this episode has a thriller bent to it. And I watched two Brian De Palma movies last night. Passion, which I had never seen with Rachel McAdams and uh, Dragon Tattoo Girl that I always butcher her name. And, um... Watched my VHS copy of Body Double, which is one of my favorites of his. And I felt that this was an appropriate nightcap to my crazy insomniac night. I think there is a Brian De Palma movie that is very relevant to this episode that we should uh, crack into very briefly. Because, um, as we all know, this is about a psycho babysitter that is spotted by Bart on America's Most Wanted. And... I started thinking, you know, I was doing some research and they based a lot of what what is the name of the babysitter again? Miss Mrs. Bots. Miss Bots. Yeah. 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 With uh the stuff with bots, they based on Night of the Hunter and Psycho. But all I could think of was that it was a um it was like a transmission from the future. Because it it, it it feels like all the child endangerment classics of the 90s. Like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Nick of Time, Ransom, Silent Fall. And going back to De Palma, the one that I was thinking of, Raising Cain. <laughs> yes. There is a, an aspect uh, to this episode which is very thriller-like. Some Enchanted Evening is an interesting uh, situation, but beyond the plot... It was intended to be the first episode. Yes. It, it's actually the first episode that was produced yes. uh, for, for the series. And it was intended, and 
it was going to be the first episode to air. That was the plan. They were going to when when yeah. this was going to launch as a as a series in the fall of of 1989. Right. Their pilot episode was supposed to be some enchanted evening because I think it was supposed to be an October premiere, if memory serves. That that would make sense because they usually start their seasons like in October. Well, Fox used in the 90s at least started their stuff in November because of the NFL and the MLB. Where you would have to wait till then for a new season of 24. 24, right. anyone who never watched it but is listening, I'm pretty sure that show is an early example of trolling because the commercial breaks and cliffhangers... I have never been so pissed off in my life by any show. Well, it, it, it kept you from switching the channel, and it, and it kept you coming back every week. So Remember the episode in season two, and uh, I think they're connected to the Harris Eulin character, that they strip Jack Bauer down and torture him? Doesn't Harris Eulin also get tortured in, in, in season two? There's because that was the whole thing about about uh, 24 was, you know, it, it was edgy because it was pushing the limits of what a hero would do on, on like a yes. primetime action show. You know, like, Jack Bauer was exactly the fascist action hero that we needed after 9-11. Yeah, like, tell me where the bomb is or I'm going to kill your son. Tell me where the bomb is. Fine. <laughs> tell me where the bomb is. Tell me where the bomb is and I'll spare the rest of your family. I think my favorite Jack Bauer moment and Taken loses points because it literally steals this moment from 24 is the fifth season when he corners Peter Weller and Joe Beth Williams in their houses and right. and he caps Joe Beth Williams in the thigh. He's like... <laughs> I shot her above the kneecap! She can still walk! You make me shoot her again, she'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life! How do I play the dirt gas? You know, you're making me want to want to go back and, like, revisit. I, I used to love that show. I think that's the show where Fox became prestigious. I don't think the X-Files had the same clout because Emmy voters and viewers were more likely to tune into the adventures of psychotic counter-terrorist agent jack bauer yeah well it's i i think the whole thing's on on prime and i'm gonna you're you're all this talk is making me want to just revisit the whole goddamn thing i've been meaning to do that for a while but i think now i'm gonna I do it such I, I love that show such a crush on not only alicia cuthbert but leslie hope in the first season uh you didn't like uh, xander berkeley's wife God, oh my God, she was Sarah Clark, I think. She was great. Well, that was my, so I had seen Terminator 2 and I had seen Heat and shit, but that was the first thing I noticed Xander Berkeley in. And then I oh. went back and I knew him and I was like, oh shit, he's, that's, he's not my dad, Todd. If was the parents are dead. I knew I, I already knew Sandra Berkeley as a as a fine character actor. I had already watched him very comically achieve orgasm while having sex with Julianne Moore at the beginning of Safe. Uh, I should I should I should add he achieves orgasm. She does not. He also shows up in one of our favorite movies, uh, uh, The Rookie. Yes, yes. the Clint Where, Eastwood Harley Sheen one. Yes, and he he participates in the in that like North by Northwest uh, tribute scene. 
Yes. Um, where I believe he also, I don't remember, does he die? Does that plane crash, does he die in the plane crash or does he die by being shot yeah, by Clint Eastwood? It's been a minute since I watched The Rookie, but I, I love that movie and I know people hate it. I have, I have an original one sheet of that movie you know i'm a fan of that movie you gave it to you gave me a blu-ray of it for my birthday and i'm and i'm very grateful to you i was very proud to give it to you there's got to be a hundred reasons why i don't blow you away right now i can't think of one so back to the simpsons so th this was supposed to be the the first episode but because the animation sucked it's like they, they basically they got the animation back i think from wherever it was or wh wherever they did like the color correction or whatever it was but they got it back and it looked like shit they came close to actually shit canning the whole show on the fact that it just looked terrible i mean reportedly james l brooks himself like in the screening room yep. stood up and said this looks like shit yeah and, like stormed out of the room Fun story about James L. Brooks. I know Brian O'Halloran, who played Dante in Clerks and Clerks 2. And he had a, I don't know if he's credited or he doesn't show up or what, but he worked a day on How Do You Know? And all I remember him saying was how many takes James L. Brooks did. And I <laughs> kind of thought, this is the reason why he is a producer. Because if he gets to direct something, it's going to take five fucking years. And I'm going to tell you something else. I think this episode is responsible for why he kept doing multiple takes on everything he did after broadcast news. And why he really only had one successful movie afterward. And that's this reason. This episode looks like fucking shit. Even with the corrections. <laughs> I was having a hard time with the episode look-wise. It is interesting to note that, like, previous episode, uh, Krusty Gets Busted, looks terrific. And then here we go with the last one. It's like watching the first episode. And it's very funny that this is the episode they closed with. And I don't think, I mean, I think the only reason that happened was because it was so rough that they just took a while to, right. to fix it. And then they just said, okay, let's just throw it at the end of the season. Right. It doesn't even make for a particularly good, like, season finale. You know, if it, it, there... Yeah, it's... The first half of the episode is not good at all. Everything involving the Homer-Marge marriage woes was covered far better in Life on, on the Fast Lane. It's a very strange, as usual, like, uh, th this episode sets up one thing, and then it turns out to be about something else. And that's basically how they all go. Like, they're all like that, and that's fine. That's good. I like that. You know, I want to go back to De Palma again, because there's some De Palma-esque tonal shifts in this episode, and genre shifts. Earlier, you, you alluded to this being, uh, made you think of De Palma, because it has... Because it's a bit, it's kind of like a thriller, and Mrs. Botts is terrifying the fucking children. She she tortures them. She tortures them with the happy little elves. She she tortures Bart with that because Lisa Lisa's in Seventh Heaven. She loves the happy little elves. Here, while I finish up, you guys can watch the rest of your favorite video cassette. Mm -hmm. Quiet, Bart. Let's make the best of this. I've always found it very interesting. I don't know how long this this gag lasted. Like in the Christmas episode, they they're watching the, the Happy Little Elves. Bart does not like the Happy Little Elves. Lisa loves yeah. that, and it always seems strange to me that somebody as intellectual as Lisa uh, enjoys that dumb cartoon. 
But but here's the thing is that intellectuals have a a history of loving stupid things. For example, one of Martin Scorsese's favorite comedies of all time is Problem Child. And if you've seen Cape Fear, you know that. Wait, is that true? I, I just, I, I always figured, I always figured, I mean, I, I would joke about something like that. Like, oh, wow, I guess Martin Scorsese really must love Problem Child. And then I figured the only reason that's in there is because it's a universal picture. Number one, it's a universal release. But number two, Martin Scorsese put it on a movie list of his thousand favorite movies of all time. He also has Exorcist to the Heretic on there, which he notoriously prefers to the original and he is objectively wrong about. My new car! Oh my God! So we really don't like this episode because we're, we, we're having a hard time talking about it. Um, we're talking about a hundred million things and not The Simpsons. So Mrs. Botts is played by Penny Marshall. That yes. is, uh, I, I think that that's a notable, that, that is a notable uh, guest star. And she had a lot of uh, clout in that era. She was not, uh, she was not, was she Laverne or Shirley? So she was Laverne and Laverne and Shirley. Yes. But by this time, she wasn't really known as that. She was known, she was known as a filmmaker at this point already. I mean, she, uh, she had done Jumping Jack Flash, Big, and I think Awakenings was coming out. Right. Uh, certainly for, for my generation at that time, was not somebody that I was too familiar with. I just was not. You know, I would occasionally catch uh, Happy Days reruns at some point. Right. I never watched Laverne and Shirley. And really, I knew Penny Marshall as a filmmaker, personally. I knew her as the director of Big. And so it was interesting to have her come in and do like, a, like an acting. She wasn't doing too much acting anymore at this point. She, no, she was dropping like cameos. She was singing. But there is a um, James L. Brooks connection with her, too. Because Big is a Gracie Films production. Because uh, they, they had never worked together, right? I don't think they... Well, I think there is a possibility that they crossed paths due to the fact that both of them originated in making television. Because you have to consider, Brooks created the Mary Tyler Moore show. Gary Marshall, her brother, made uh, created Happy Days. Right. And... She was on Laverne and Shirley. There's Which spun of off a... from Happy Days. I mean, that, right. that, like the, the characters were introduced in Happy Days, and then that was a Happy Days spinoff. And if you want to get really deep about it, in the 70s, for all of it pretty much, she's married to Rob Reiner, who is still Meathead. And he and they divorced before he did Spinal Tap. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. She was married, Rob Reiner, for a time. And then, you know, because he was watching The Equalizer. Who the f- has the goddamn gall to call his house on a Tuesday night? God damn it! You're gonna miss it! Oh, please, tell me something I don't know! I wait all week for the fucking equalizer, and I have to fucking... I will say this. I think the character of Miss Botts is a pretty cool character. Like, I, I think that she's an effective villain. And, you know, Penny Marshall gives her kind of a cool... She... She makes her very menacing, and uh, and the character design is very unsettling. She has these giant pendulous breasts. You know that's that's very disturbing. That's a very disturbing thing, but it's yeah, it's, it's there. People remember that aspect of it if they remember this episode at all. It's because oh, it's the one about the babysitter or whatever. Because as we keep on saying, it's just not a very good episode. But there, but it is. It does continue an odd little trend that let's say you hadn't watched The Simpsons at all. You know, let's say you hadn't been watching them. 
and, and you just started, and you know, by the time you sit down to watch The Simpsons, it's, it's towards the end of the season. I think you'd have a very different picture of what the show is. Oh, for, for sure. Because, because in this, at this point, it is not at all a sitcom. No. It's basically a cartoon, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an animated comedy, certainly. Yes. These are comedic episodes, but, but it doesn't have a sit, sitcom yeah. formula anymore. It's a lot more genre-based. And I think that it, what, however way you look at that angle, it's kind of a, a template for a lot of the great episodes of the show. The show is really only a quote-unquote traditional sitcom for much of the first season, yeah. But then it really starts to go off in different directions and tell more interesting stories. And again, none of this is deliberate. That, that, that's yeah. the thing that's interesting. This is not deliberate. I mean, this was supposed to be the first episode, which if it had aired when originally intended, it would have given a different impression of what the show is because, because of the fact that it's not really yeah. very sitcom-y at all. And I think coming off the tales of the episodes where Homer and Marge have marital issues... Again, there's thematic continuity, and it was the right decision to maybe close out with an episode that focuses on that. I said you're going to watch this tape, and you're going to do what I say, or I'm going to do something to you. And I don't know what that is, because everybody has always done what I say. So another thing I want to touch on with the uh, thriller elements is... There's a lot of similarities to Home Alone, but there's a movie that I recently discovered around Christmas time that is Home Alone, except it came out first. And Fox, John Hughes, and Chris Columbus all got sued in the early 90s by these French filmmakers who had made a movie. I forget the the French name, but the title is Dial Code Santa Claus. And it is about a Bart Simpson type who has to defend his his elderly grandfather while his mother is at work from a psycho Santa Claus killer. Uh, there is a Bonnie Tyler theme song. This movie, wow. certifiably fucking insane. And I couldn't get it out of my head every time Bart was trying to catch up the bots. So hang on a second. Wait, I've never heard of this movie. That's fascinating. Dial Code Santa Claus. So it's streaming on Shudder under the name Deadly Games. But Deadly Games is a stupid title. The original title of this is called 3615 Code Pere Noel. Also known as Dial Code Santa Claus, Deadly Games, Game Over, and Hide and Freak. And it is fucking insane. There, there, it, it is so mean-spirited and crazy and... It will give you the idea that, you know how they remade a bunch of French comedies in the 80s? It was like a fetish that Hollywood had. Three Men and a Baby, The Toy. Three Fugitives. Right. Michael Eisner wanted to remake every fucking French comedy ever, as evidenced by the box office smash My Father the Hero. A film that I remember being all over video stores and the covers engraved in my head. Why was Gerard Depardieu buttered up as a leading man in America? I, I just don't understand Hollywood in this era, and that is one of the great what the fuckings. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things about Depardieu. Like for the first, let's get out of the way. The one thing that is true 
is that he's a great fucking actor. He's a really good actor. Like yeah. that's just a, that's a fact. He's a he's fucking great good. actor. He's very good in the Duelists. Release. Yes, and and in and in Novecento, nineteen hundred, the Bertolucci masterpiece that more people should see. And he's a great actor, and there is a quality to him that I suppose could be endearing. Uh, they they never they they never were building him up as like a quote unquote hunk, but uh, but if you notice, he's a leading man, but in romantic comedies, movies like Green Card or. Yeah. Uh, you know, or my or my father the hero and you know my father the hero is a remake of a french film yes which I, also starred Depardieu. so yeah, right. it would make sense that you know since, since they're trying to he's breaking out let's say in, in in hollywood so they they have him star in the american version now having seen the movie okay the idea of it is disturbing but the movie itself is pretty innocuous. From Touchstone Pictures, My Father the Hero. I told him you were my lover. Are you out of your mind? They're calling it hilarious. With loads of laughs and plenty of hearts and ABC raves, Gerard Depardieu is irresistible. I told him you were dying. I'm dying now. In a terrific film that both adults and kids will love. Oh, no. My Father the Hero, rated PG. I think it's just the guy's a good actor. And uh, he has a certain appeal. But I don't think he was ever pushed as a sex symbol. I think they just thought, you know what? He's funny. He's, he's this big, oafish French dude. And yeah. he'll, it worked for about five minutes. And then, and, then, and, then, and then he had to pee on an airplane. You want to pee? You want to make a pee? And I said, please, madame, could I go to the toilet? She blocked the door with the, her foot and she said, no, go back to your, your place. It hurt me, you know. I'm not sick. I'm not a terrorist. I just want to pee. So, okay, so this episode, uh, we don't like this episode. We're barely talking about it because we don't like it. No, I didn't even mention the Fox cross promotion that's in this episode with that blatant America's Most Wanted parody. Well, that is true. That, that's a very good point. And I'm surprised that they didn't get John Walsh to do the voice. Right, and if they couldn't get John Walsh, they could have gotten Daniel J. Trevanti to uh, play John Walsh in the um, in in cartoon form. Oh yeah, because he was in the uh, the TV movie about the kidnapping. He play he plays John Walsh in in yeah. Adam, and in Adam, his song continues. Monday, NBC presents another world premiere movie. Every parent's fear becomes the movie you must see. Adam! Starring Hill Street Blues, Daniel J. Trovati. Monday at 9, 8 Central and Mountain. So is there anything else you want to talk about uh, in regards to this particular episode? Uh, um, I also want to add a couple notes about how I watched this episode, which was not on Disney+. Plus. Um, I came into airing, uh, VHX recordings of original airings of The Simpsons with commercials. I might have mentioned this on the Bart the Genius episode, but I watched this and it was a rerun from August 1990. Mm -hmm. And after the episode, Bart appears in a segment addressing the audience that The Simpsons is going to be moving to Thursday nights starting on August 23rd. I think this move is historic because this was Fox... Fox got into their own David and Goliath by moving The Simpsons to Thursdays. It was a ballsy fucking risk at the time. Bill Cosby dominated the ratings with The Cosby Show on NBC for eight seasons. Thursday nights, 8 o'clock. Prime family slot. Everybody watched it. No one had the balls to put a major program up against The Cosby Show until The Simpsons. 
And I believe that it sets the course for the success of the series for the rest of the run. As far as I'm concerned, I've always thought of it as a Sunday night show. That goes all the way to like how I like my memories of experiencing The Simpsons, and then right. it's all you know. It's always like I watched it on Sunday night, and then of course in the in the school cafeteria, I'm, I'm quoting my favorite jokes back and forth with my friends, all that stuff, right? So it's always felt like a Sunday night show to me. I'm going to do something for the audience because um, Eric's is one of my dearest friends and it's and there are two shows that aired on Sunday nights in the spring of 1990 that were absolutely definitive. And I am dying to know with a question I've never asked you directly. Did you watch The Simpsons and Twin Peaks basically back to back? Yes. Yes. Undoubtedly. I think. I think in Living Color was the 8.30 slot. So it's possible you had your Fox hour of comedy and then you jumped to ABC to watch Twin Peaks. That's exactly how it was. That's exactly right, yes. And like The Simpsons, Twin Peaks made a show-defining move to another night, but it had the opposite effect of what The Simpsons had. And I know that the pilot movie of Twin Peaks aired on a Sunday. That's a fact. That's correct. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. Do you know what you could have directly watched right after The Simpsons due to timing? And I know you fucking did, because I know you're going to say yes. You definitely switched on the Earth Day special after The Simpsons that night. Oh, I absolutely did. Yes, I did. Uh, that, that was a very... I, I stuck around for the Earth Day special. Was it on Fox? No, it was on ABC. Okay, but I switched over to it. No, yeah, no, I definitely did. I watched that live when it aired. Because I think it was a live show. It was live, yes. Talk about a rabbit hole. Um, that special is kind of atrocious. Oh, it's it, terrible. It's, it's terrible. But, you know, at the time, this, is, this aired on Earth Day. This is 1990. Yeah. And obviously, for me, the big thing was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. As, as, as Charles McIntyre. According to the EPA, hazardous waste is produced in this country at the rate of 700,000 tons a day. What? That's impossible. How could that be? I'll tell you how that can be. My name's Charles McIntyre. I own a factory. That, that is a very strange special, and I wonder how many people actually remember it. Here's and I wonder how did it pull any ratings? I mean, such a weird, horrible. It's it's the Star Wars holiday special of the of the '90s. The affinity that I have for it is because of the fact that I am very obsessed with that era of Hollywood, not just the movies, but the people that were in play. And from what I understand, it got organized within three months, and there was pressure from some i don't know if it's greenpeace or one of the environmental organizations to do an earth day special and time warner was like fuck it we'll we'll give you free airtime and it's a cornucopia who's who of every single fucking famous person you can possibly think of you've got dan Aykroyd, you've got rick moranis You've got Dustin Hoffman. You've got, as we said, Michael Keaton. You've got Danny DeVito. Bette Midler as Mother Earth. You've got the Bundys. You've got the cast of Cheers. You have the cast of The Cosby Show. And also there's there's Muppets. There's a lot of Muppets in it. 
there's downtown Julie Brown. Uh, <laughs> Michael Douglas shows up. Um, oh, okay. So hang on. So Michael Douglas shows up. So that means that it's uh, so it's with Michael Douglas and, and Michael Douglas. Michael, only uh, time. Both Michael Douglases have been in the same spe- same space. It's very important. I think it would be pretty cool if um, there's still time for this. It would be great if they made a movie together. Yeah, why not? And for that one time, just have him use his real name. Just Michael Douglas and Michael Douglas. But you need somebody with the clout of, like, a Tarantino to get him to do that. Uh, What's up, Doc? It's an all-star gala celebration. The 20th anniversary of Earth Day. Celebration? What do they got to celebrate? I live on the Earth. I ought to know. This was a great place to live till man set foot on it. Earth! What a concept! Yes! yes. So let's wrap this up. So, uh, so okay, I think we can agree that this episode is not very good. Uh, yeah, we don't really like it. We didn't have much to say about it because it's no. just not a very good episode. So we don't, we don't really like it. But what can we say about The Simpsons' first season as a whole? This is what I think about the first season. It's not great, but it's important. It's an important watershed moment because the moment that season ends is when all of the merchandise floods in. All of the tie-in merchandise is flying off the shelves. They got the Burger King shit. They got the dolls. They got all the shirts. You're right. I mean, Simpsons Mania, as it were. I mean, it was a popular show, obviously. People were watching it, tuning in. But Simpsons Mania, as it were, kicked in during the, during the hiatus. That's when it really kicked in. Because I think you had a wider reach for kids to watch the show and be like, oh, this is the show that I couldn't watch because I had to go to bed or I'm sneaking this in or I have free time and fuck it, it's Sunday, I can go to bed at 11.30 tonight. Which, holy shit, that is something I haven't done in about a decade. I mean, so yeah, Simpsons Mania takes off in the summer hiatus and then that's why when it comes back in in the fall, it comes back strong. And yeah. as you said, they move to Thursdays. They they have enough courage to try to take on Cosby, and they do eventually win. It is interesting. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, I would say that the first season is maybe not a very good season overall, but it is certainly important because it's a watershed moment. And yeah, I mean, if, if we want to really be honest... In, out of those 13, there are probably two or three, at most, episodes that you could consider classics. You know, that you could say, yeah, that's a great episode. That's one that you can go back and watch, and it's great. There's two, or if we're being generous, three, and that's about it. I mean, like, a, if, if, if I look at the whole thing, I think the holiday special is really good. I think Krusty Gets Busted is excellent, and I, I really like uh, The Crepes of Wrath. But when we talk, when, when people talk about The Simpsons, and when people... Like they they list classic episodes or they list classic moments. They quote classic jokes. I mean, you'd be lucky if you get one from the first season. People don't tend to look back on this one. It's very rough. It's very uneven. But it is also pretty impressive. I, like, I don't think when the first season came out, we had no idea no. What, what, what it was going to be. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think they could have even dreamed that it was going to go on for 30 years at that moment. No. It just wasn't something that had ever been done from a sitcom 
and much less an animated show. So it was like 30. I mean, it was unheard of. And right. here we are 30 years later. And, you know, so obviously it's all because that that first season did have a certain impact. It's dated. It has not aged well, but it definitely had impact. And I think it's it's worth it's worth uh, noting that. Those Simpsons, what a bunch of savages, especially that big ape father. Actually, the Simpsons are neighbors of ours, and we found them to be a quite misunderstood and underrated family. So this is great, man. I want to thank you for uh, for joining me once again to talk about... It was about an absolute pleasure. I, I will hopefully be seeing you again for season two. You will definitely be back. There's a, a lot of great episodes are coming up now, and now's when it really starts getting good. And so yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun to Indeed. sit down and, and, and go through it. So thanks, and I'll see you next season. So that's it for this week's installment of The Simpsons Countdown. And with that, the first season is in the can. Thank you for joining us. And a very special thank you if you've been joining us from the start. If you enjoyed this, please give us a like. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. Feel free to leave a comment or two expressing your appreciation. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends, both virtual and actual, on social media. The more you care, the more you share. And the more listeners will come on board, and the podcast will just get bigger and better with each passing week. So thanks in advance for spreading the word. At this point, the podcast will go on a very brief hiatus, but we will return for 22 uninterrupted weeks, beginning on Thursday, May 21st. In the meantime, if you're new to the podcast, you can catch up on the entire first season, now available on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or pretty much your podcasting platform of choice. The podcast is also available on YouTube through the Eric's Antoine Network. That's my YouTube channel, and I'd recommend you subscribe and keep your eyes on it because some cool stuff is going to be coming very soon. I'm Eric's Antoine, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks as my guests and I embark on Season 2 of The Simpsons, where things start getting good. I hope you'll join us. And until then... Stay safe. Stay home. Practice social distancing. Because by doing that, you're keeping yourselves safe. And you're keeping us safe, too. And we appreciate that very much. Thank you for listening, and be well. We had to dispose of some hazardous byproducts from the result of our manufacturing process. He told me we could either hire a company, do it properly, for $18,000.